Take your Bibles and join me in God's Word in Romans chapter 13. I've greatly enjoyed our study in the book of Romans. Every portion of the book as we've gone through it, talking about man's need of salvation, God's gift of salvation to us in Christ. We developed all the aspects of of the gospel and sanctification. Now we're working through this section of the book towards the end of the book. The Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, is presenting to us some very specific applications. How this plays out in our everyday life. Went through chapter 12, now we hit chapter 13. In this moment in time, in this cultural moment in which we live in the United States of America, in which the world finds itself, this is an important study. You may or you may not agree with all my conclusions. But we want to judge them, everything we're doing, by the Word of God, by the Scripture. And so as we come to this Scripture, and we try to take this Scripture, and we try to set it in the context of the message of the entirety of Scripture... Let us try and seek to sit under Scripture in a way that the the Holy Spirit can truly teach us. We're talking about our responsibility, our responsibility, the biblical principles that surround our earthly sojourn here, our citizenship in the kingdoms of men. The church is a transnational organism. There are believers on every corner of this globe. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we are members one of another. Individual Christians and churches find themselves in many different situations and scenarios. If you live in the Islamic world, things are different than the United States of America. You live in Ukraine, you live in Russia, you live Southeast Asia, you live in China, wherever. Our individual circumstances may be very varied. Nevertheless, God has laid out for us in His Word principles that are to govern our lives no matter where or when. We live. So as we come to the Word this morning, before we read the Word, join me at the throne of grace, and let's just ask that the Holy Spirit will give us wisdom in His Word to understand it and to be faithful in the way we live it. Join me there. Father, we come before You. Lord, You are a triune God. We don't even understand this. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't understand how you can be in heaven and how our Savior could go to heaven to prepare a place for us and yet he can be with us. And how your Spirit is everywhere and in all things, beholding the evil and the good. 
and how that all of time is in your hand. As we come to your word this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher. That you would take us down trains of thought and into areas to, to develop from your mind, not from mine. Together as a church, as believers, give us wisdom in your word that we may be as a city set on a hill, a light in a very dark world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me, Hebrews 13. Remember, he has just ended chapter 12 by telling us never to avenge ourselves to give place to wrath. We're talking about love. We're going to look at the structure of this whole section again in just a minute. But it's not like he just completely broke off that train of thought in chapter 12 and starts something new, like the heading in your study Bible says. No, he is writing from one thought into another. And after saying we are not to avenge ourselves, he says, let every person... I circled that word. We'll come back to it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Reason number one. Four. There is no authority except from God. The authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, because these authorities were instituted by God, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists who? God. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you are doing wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of our conscience. For because of this, you also pay your taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. So, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. I want us to consider the overall structure of this text for a minute. There are some very important words here, are there not? 
some words that just are repeated all through it. Words like subjection or submission. Words like authority. We need to understand what authority is, where it comes from, and why it has been given to certain individuals or institutions. This paragraph that we just read is set in the greater context coming out of chapter 12. We are to have a renewed mind. We are to be transformed. As believers, we are to present ourselves to God. One of the aspects of a renewed mind is a renewed mind, a mind that is transformed, is not a mind that is rebellious by nature. A renewed mind, a mind that is transformed, is a mind that is submissive to authority. This is part about what it means to be renewed, to be transformed. All of us naturally are rebellious. All of us naturally want to rebel against authority. We do so from our earliest days as a child. But when we are born again and the Spirit comes to live within us and He is forming us into, our, into a likeness unto Christ and He is changing our character, one of the fundamental changes is we become submissive. So what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do this? I also want you to notice how he began this section in verse 9 of chapter 12. Look back there. I made a big deal about this for two weeks, and I want to make a big deal about it again for another week, and it's this. This overall text is bookended with the concept of love. In chapter 12, verse 9, he says, Let your love be genuine. And at the end of chapter 13, verse 9, this section we're reading... He says, owe no one anything except to what? Love him. So he begins by saying, let your love be genuine. He ends the section by saying, the debt that we all owe as Christians is love to our neighbor and love to God. This is the overall structure. And so it is set in the context of love. He began this by saying, let your love be genuine. We talked about that some. This word is the word hypocritical, unhypocritical. And so Jesus used this word a lot in the Gospels to speak of those who were pretenders. Remember, the word hypocrite in the English language is not a translation, it's a transliteration. And so it's just taking a word from the Greek language and it gives us to it in the English. And so when we think of the word hypocrite, if we really translated it and said what it means... To be a hypocrite means to be an actor, to play a part. And he says, let your love be genuine. I've been reading two really intriguing books written by a guy named Tony Reinke, who is, I think, one of the chief executive officers at uh, Desiring God Ministries, works with John Piper. These two books that are really interesting to me are, number one, one is a theology on technology. It's really good. The other one is called 12 Ways Your Cell Phone is Changing You Without You Knowing It. Tony Reinke calls himself a tech optimist. 
I tend not to be because I'm not very techie. I'm not even optimistic a lot of times that my computer will turn on. I'm just not the techie guy. Yesterday my phone froze up and I had no idea. I was like, oh well, I'll just use it for a boat anchor. I, I don't know how to fix that stuff. I am not a tech optimist, but Tony Reinke is. He's a, he's a tech optimist. And, and, he, 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 it's, and so it's, it's, he's not writing these books from the vantage point of saying, all tech is bad and you know the world's going to hell in a handbasket kind of thinking about new technologies and all that stuff. But boy, there's some really good things to say to the church. In the book, 12 Ways Your Cell Phone is Changing You, he draws something out that was intriguing. It's about Facebook. When Facebook first came out, people would do something and somebody would videotape what they're doing and then they'd be like, well, that was really cool. I should post it. We have totally flipped. Now, people are doing things, thinking beforehand, I'm going to post this. It's a total flip in their thinking. Before, we lived our life and we did whatever we were going to do and we just happened to get it caught on camera and then we posted it and we sent it to other people. Now, people all across the world are living their lives as what? Actors. Actors. Pretending to be something they're not really. I'm going to go on my Facebook page and I'm going to make my life something it really isn't because I want all those people out there to like me and to think that I have life that is so good and everything is so great and yet my marriage has fallen apart and my kids hate me and I just lost my job but everything is great on Facebook. <laughs> and we live in a pretend world. Think about the reality of this. It's true. As I read that, and he showed the statistical data to prove this out, this is a phenomenon that is happening in our world where people are literally living pretend lives. If you get to the point where the Holy Spirit points that out to you, that that's what you're doing, then do like me and use it as a boat anchor. Right? It's not worth it. It is a tool. John Piper says in the introduction to that, book. He said something really insightful. John Piper said, I really like my gun, but it's dangerous. I really like my phone, but it's dangerous. It's a tool. Use it as such. Do not live a pretend life on your phone. It will come back to bite you really hard. Chapter 13, I want us to begin with a phrase. This is what genuine love looks like. What does genuine love look like? Remember, it despises what is evil and it clings to what is good. That's in chapter 12. What's good? Let every soul be subject. 
Let every soul be subject. That raises some interesting questions. I'm not going to read you all my questions that I'm working through in my mind as I study this. But there's a lot of questions that come up. I didn't even go to the end of that and put the object of our submission. Here, the object of our submission is what? Government, human government that is instituted by God. But we could put a lot of other things there in the scripture as the object, couldn't we? Let every church member, this is all through scripture, be subject to the ruling eldership of the church. See, there's submission all through the scripture, woven all through it in our relationships. What does this look like? Man, we have been living in some really interesting days. Now, I tried to prepare my next remarks as best I could, but I'm also somewhat shooting from the hip. COVID has been intriguing. Has it not? I have not lived a super long life. I still think of myself as being young. But in my years, my 56 years, I've never seen anything quite like COVID. How about you? It's been interesting. And it's brought up a lot of issues. One of the issues that it has brought up is civil disobedience in the church. And I want us to think about this for a minute because I want to use it as a prefacing case study that we'll come back to as we go through this. There was quite a dust-off in California between Grace Community Church and county officials and state officials there. And there were some court cases. Grace Community Church, I think it was for 20 weeks, canceled in-person services under the mandates. And after a period of time, the church just started spontaneously coming back in and joining for worship as John MacArthur was preaching on the live stream. And so eventually they just said, okay, we're going to defy this. They wrote two position papers. Those two position papers are extremely interesting. Now, I don't want you to do this now. You all have your phones. One of the 12 ways that your phone has changed public worship is while I'm preaching, you can be Googling something else. So don't do that. Okay? But do it later. In the bulletin, in the ruminations on the message, I reference four articles. Your homework this week is to read those four articles. One is called, okay, two come from Grace Community Church. One is called Christ, not Caesar, is the head of the church. Subtitle, a biblical case for the church's duty to remain open. In this, the elders of Grace Community Church lay out their biblical framework for civilly disobeying the mandate. 
They then went a step further and did another paper that is longer, and it is called Facing COVID-19 Without Fear. And in this, they lay out not only how they responded for the first portion of the pandemic, but then they also lay out a lot of the forgive me for using this fake news that surrounded the pandemic. So they get into a lot of the stuff that's been going on in the politics of it. And then they explain again their biblical conviction on why they were required by Scripture to disobey and not submit to the governing authorities. On the other coast, Capitol Hills Baptist Church, Mark Dever is the pastor there. Mark Dever is a friend of John MacArthur's. Okay, so these are not guys who hate each other. They're friends. Mark Dever has spoke often at the Shepherds Conference at Grace Community Church. But right after John MacArthur's church, the elders of the church issued the first statement that Christ, not Caesar, is the head of the church, they turned out their own rebuttal. And it is a time, it's a quite, it begins with a question, a time for civil disobedience, question mark, a response to Grace Community Church's elders. And so they take a completely different track. That's your homework. I want you to read those articles. Listen, COVID-19 has been a big deal in the world. And I think God has allowed it and used it to cause Christians to think a little bit clearly on this subject. Because there are going to be bigger issues coming down the pike if the Lord does not return soon. There's going to be bigger issues. The Church of Jesus Christ, not only locally here, but in the United States of America and around the world, as a transnational organization, needs to think very clearly what are the parameters of the submission that we give to Caesar? And when does Scripture require not just give us freedom, but require that we disobey. I think this is a gift from the Holy Spirit so that his children think in advance on this issue. We will talk some about what John MacArthur and the elders said as well as some of what Mark Dever said in response to that in another week. I hope you will read those articles. I hope you will take this seriously to do so. Having said that, Let's just go into the text for a few minutes this morning and consider a few things, moving away from that case study. There are many questions that we're going to probe. There are also many biblical stories that we want to explore. I just sat down real quickly and wrote a list. 
Here's a few of them. The Hebrew midwives in the book of Exodus are told to actively kill Hebrew children, males. They disobey the order. Moses' parents are required by the law to do what to their son who has just been born? Throw him into the Nile. Not to teach him to swim, to feed him to an alligator. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that Moses' parents were commended because of their faith because they did not fear the king's command. Rahab and the spies. We could look in the book of Daniel, and we will look in the book of Daniel. I'm just mentioning them today. Daniel chapter 1 is an important story. When Daniel and his three friends ask permission to not eat the meat of the king off the king's table. They are granted that, and God blesses them. We have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We also, in chapter 3, and then in chapter 6, we have Daniel being fed to what? Lions. Because when he's told he cannot pray to anyone but to, to God, or to, not God, he cannot pray to anybody but the king, he says, fooey on you, I am going to keep doing what I've always done. And he prays to the Lord and he throws open his windows to show his neighbors he's doing it. Acts chapter 4 and 5. The apostles in reply to them being told by the religious, spiritual, and civil leaders of Judah. They are told not to speak in the name of Jesus ever again. They say, you decide whether you think it's right for us to honor you on this account. But we must obey God rather than men. There's a story of Mordecai that was read this morning. That's an interesting one. We're going to talk about that later. Jeremiah 29. Write that text down. Read it this week. It is an important text on this. We have to talk about Jesus' interaction on whether or not we should pay taxes. And he asked to see a what? A coin. He said, whose inscription is on it? He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and what to God is God's. Peter has to pay a tax and he doesn't have the money. What does the Lord do? He provides for the tax by taking Peter fishing. There's a lot of material we've got to study. So settle in. Put a bookmark in chapter 13. We won't be through this soon. I will promise you now. Here's where we go. What is the default spirit of the believer? What is the default spirit of the believer? In this text, submit. That is the default attitude of a blood-bought saint who is walking in the Spirit. His desire, his inclination, his goal 
is to submit. To live his life in a way that he honors Christ by submitting to the authorities that God has placed in his life. He is not always rebelling. He's not going around making a mess everywhere he goes, throwing hand grenades and being an anarchist. He is submissive. That is the default setting of the believer. Now, there are some things that um, we would want to that we want to talk about here as we go through this. What does he say here? What does he not say? And what does this mean? And then we'll look at the rule and we'll bring this to a close. What does he say here? I want you to notice the first phrase. That's all the far we're getting today. He says, let every... What does your translation say? You can say it. Soul, person... Let every person be subject. As I studied that and thought through it, the old King James is the one that uses the word soul. And it is the correct translation. The Greek word is the word suke. You hear the word Psychology. Suke, it is the soul. When God made man in the garden, he fashioned man from the dirt. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. Person. Sometimes this word is used in the New Testament. It's translated with the word life. He who would find his life, he who would find his soul, must be willing to what? Lose it. Why did the Holy Spirit use that word? He had been using that word all along here. He'd just been saying things like, every one of you, all of you, each of you, Here he says this, let every soul, let everyone. Why? A couple reasons here. One is this is the battle that goes on in every soul. Submission or rebellion. But he's also stressing some, some things here. He is stressing to us our individuality, Our eternality? What part of you, when Charlene went to be with the Lord today, her body was still laying in the bed. Her soul went to be with the Lord. Our soul, your person, will give an account to the Lord. It speaks of responsibility. And he's saying to us as people, let each of you as a soul be in subjection. What does he not say? This is important because this is where this gets skewed all the time. You know who loved this chapter better than anybody else? 
used it against the church routinely. His name was Adolf Hitler. He did. He used this. When he went to the German Lutheran churches and he said, toe the line. Your Bible says you must. Let every soul. You know what he does not say here? Let every church. This is an important aspect of what John MacArthur was dealing with in what he wrote. He does not say here that the church of Jesus Christ is under the jurisdiction of the state. He does not say that. That is an error. It is important we understand something. God created three equal and separate jurisdictions. You find these in the scripture. God created the home. He did it in the book of Genesis. Marriage is not a social construct. It was created by God. It was given for the good of mankind that we would be one, that we would have a helper that is suitable to us and to bring children into the world. The home is a distinct jurisdiction before God. Civil government. Scripturally, it was instituted in Genesis chapter 9. In the Noahic covenant, when Noah gets off the ark, God says to him, whoever sheds man's blood, by what? By mankind shall his blood be shed. One of the things that characterized the pre-flood world was extreme violence. And everybody was a vigilante. And it created anarchy and chaos. After the flood, at the ark, God said, that's not the way this is going to operate anymore. I am instituting civil authority. When a man kills another man, then mankind acting in concert with God-vested authority is to take that man's life. It is not an act of vengeance. It is bearing the sword that God has given. That's what he's saying. The state. The church. The church is a distinct jurisdiction with God. It is a transnational organism created by God in which those who believe in Jesus Christ who have been born again are members of that body and it is a distinct entity in the world. Now, all three of these, the home, the state, and the church, they all have a submission command that is attached to them. Don't they? Every one of them. Children, you are to do what? Obey and honor mom and dad. Wiser to what? Submit to their husbands. Husbands submit to who? Their head who is Christ. And husbands love their wives. Wives love their husbands too. It goes both ways. 
And there's mutual submission in marriage. But there are submission um, commands attached to each one. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Is submission an unqualified obedience? It cannot be. Here's why I say that. When Ananias and Sapphira dreamed up a sin against God and they lie to the Holy Spirit, they are dealt with separately. Ananias first. And God knocks him dead. When Sapphira comes in, what does she do? She participates in the sin and she bears what? The consequence for her action. Before she falls dead, could she have said, Peter, Peter, before you knock me dead, the only reason I lied was because my husband told me to. Would that have worked with God? Would it have worked with God? You tell me. Yes or no? No, it would not. Okay, so you got a Christian in Nazi Germany. He stands before the Lord on the great day, and the Lord wants to know, why did you participate in the killing of Jews? And he says, because it was the law of the land, and I was told I had to. Do you think God says, oh, that's good enough? I agree. Do you think that's the way God will answer? I do not think so. So this brings us right back to the point that is so paramount that we understand is submission is an attitude. Submission is a spirit, but it does not mean unqualified obedience. We have to look carefully at this. This is very deeply nuanced as we study this. So how do we go on this? Here we go another step. <clears throat> we talked about jurisdictions. Okay, this is what, this is what Hitler liked. Okay, he wanted to say, this is, the, this is the flow chart. I drew this on there, so you've got to forgive me. Here's God at the top. God, and this, the kings in the Middle Ages loved this. They called this one the divine right of the king. Do you remember that? So God gives authority to government. And government gives authority to the church. And the church gives authority to the home. And if you're down here, you're at the bottom of the ladder. This is the way the flow chart is most often thought of. Not the biblical model. The biblical model is this. I'll draw a line here. Let's say this circle represents God. From God flows authority. One of those authorities is the home. One of those authorities is the church. And one of those authorities is government. We have a responsibility to submit and to obey in relationships in each of these spheres. These spheres work as a system of checks and balances. I want to read you something if I can find it. I don't got much time to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Oh. John MacArthur said really, something really good on this point. 
and I circled it and underlined it, and it's in all my pages. So you have to hang on. We'll get that one next week. Okay. Um, where he develops this thought about jurisdiction and submission. So, here's the rule. What's the rule? The rule is what? Submit. The exceptions are what? The exceptions. Now, that sounds really redundant and really silly, but it's important. Why? Because we, in our depravity and in our sinful nature, want to make what? The exceptions, the rule. Right? We want to make the exception the rule. The exceptions are the exceptions. The rule is submit and obey as unto Christ. The Christian, as Christians, this is just important we understand this. Christians are not anarchists and we are not social revolutionaries. We are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador has two relationships that are very important. One is to his homeland. And he gives an account to his homeland. The other is as living in a foreign country to the host of his diplomatic office. He has to live under two sets of rules, doesn't he? So it is in Christ. Paul ended chapter 12 by telling us what? Overcome, conquer evil by doing what? Good. The, the Christian does not conquer evil by doing evil. We overcome evil by doing good. So, when the Christian sees social injustice, he doesn't become a vigilante. Christians don't kill babies. Christians save babies and help parents. Right? And Christians do not sabotage abortion facilities and kill abortion doctors. That would be wrong. We do good. We save the baby. We help the parents. We are not anarchists. We are not social revolutionaries. But we are a distinct people. My ultimate allegiance And I hope you can say this with me. My ultimate allegiance is not to the United States Constitution. Although I love it, and I thank God for it. I love the Second Amendment. Right? Amen in Wyoming? I love the Second Amendment. My ultimate allegiance is not the U.S. Constitution. It is to who? Christ and his word. 
Let it be so. We'll go deeper next week. Same time, same place. Let's close. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the truth it contains. We thank you that your Holy Spirit does not leave us to ourselves to just flounder around in it, but that, Lord, you direct us and you give us guidance as we study it. Lord, over the next weeks, may we have wisdom from your Spirit to understand these things, and so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song together? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord most high. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord most high. The name of the
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the country that we live in. Lord, we are so grateful. Lord, we know, Lord, that it wasn't any of our choosing to be here, but because of your good grace, you allowed us to be in this country. And with that, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for our forefathers and for their trust in you. Lord, for the Constitution, for, for the things that we have in place, uh, which honor you. Lord, help us to be faithful, Lord, to be good citizens of the country that, that we live in. But Lord, ultimately, ultimately, Lord, may we see our citizenship not as Americans, but as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, may you reign high in our lives, and may others know it, and may they see it. Lord, use us as we go out to proclaim our citizenship of heaven, that they may see it, that they may ask what's different about us as believers in Jesus Christ, that they too may know of the hope that can be found through you and through your work on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.